so in our, our Q&A series, our question and, and asked, our answers, excuse me, series, what we've done is, right before we started this a few weeks ago, we asked you guys to submit questions. And um, a lot of you did. Uh, y'all have submitted some fantastic questions that we've been answering these last few weeks. And today's going to be the same. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, thank you, by the way. Thank you for submitting yeah, those for questions. Sure. And, and I have a, a, maybe it's a little announcement. Next week, um, Ed thought that he was smart enough to do it live. So we're going to let you submit text questions or email questions during the service that we're going to answer on the spot uh, during this Q&A series. And uh, all the hard ones go to Ed, all the easy ones go to me. And um, that's the way it's going to work next week, all right? I didn't tell you I'm on vacation yeah. Sunday. Yeah. No, no, you, you got it, brother. You, no, that's you denied. <laughs> um, now, our, our goal during this series is to answer the questions you've asked. And uh, we want them to be helpful. We, we hope that they're, they're fun. We know some of them are serious and some of them are more lighthearted. And um, that, that's kind of the way that we're going to go about it. And we want you to know that we're going to, number one, use the Bible. If there's a, a direct answer in the Bible to the question that you've asked, that's what we're going to use. And then if there's not that, there might be a biblical principle that we can use. And then if that's the case, that's what we're going to do. And if there's neither one of those to answer your question, we're going to give you our opinion. And we'll tell you that it's our opinion. You have every right in the world to disagree. You know, that's fine. You can be wrong if you want to. All right, so. Oh, we got to chuckle this service. The first service first is. First service, whew. nobody no, laughed nobody at that laughed. at all. All right. We, gotta, um, so, uh, we work hard at those jokes. We really do. <laughs> Sorry. So we have um, a question from a couple weeks ago that we want to re-give a little more information about this week. We, we said something last week, and this is kind of a pre, uh, pre-questions today, but uh, somebody's asked about the parking lot. Uh, what, you know, hey, is it going to stay caliche forever? Do I have to? Yeah. Well, we don't want it to stay caliche forever. We want to finish it out, have it, have it all look uniform, the same, nice and you know, clean and uh, new line, all of that stuff. And so we're moving ahead with that. We've got the contractor and all that. Now we're just working on the money to do it. And uh, just so you know, uh, everything here at Ignite is paid for. We, don't, you know, we, we haven't taken out a loan for anything. And, and we're not going to do it for the parking lot either. And, and so what we're doing is giving everybody a chance. And what we're asking you to do is just say, hey, God, what would you like me to do for help with the parking lot? And, and you can do that the same way Ed mentioned a while ago. There's boxes on the wall. You could put something in and say parking. You can do online. If you go online, it's so easy. You'll see that you can click either parking lot or, or just a general giving offering. You can do it there too. The overall cost for it is going to be forty grand to do this parking lot. It's a major, major undertaking. And uh, so, but we, we know that God can take care of it. And so, yes, we're moving forward with it, and that's the scope of the whole thing. And so as soon as we have the, all the, the money there, boom, we're going to pull the trigger and do it. All that being said, um, I want to pray about that because the parking lot's a big deal. Let, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've provided for us so far here at Ignite Church. And thank you for all the people that work hard and everyone that comes and gets to be a part of this. We pray that you would help us to get this parking lot done uh, quickly. Father, so that it's, it looks good for our people, it looks good for the community, that it's just, everything is working smoothly with it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, question number one. What did the carnivores eat when they got off the ark? I've heard this question for a long time. It's funny, every now and then somebody asks this question, and you know, you picture the mammals coming off the ark, 
and, you know, they're all on the ark, and there's not any mammals. You know, what do they eat? And Chad and I did a lot of research and thought about this, and so uh, here's our answer. They came off the ark, and they ate fish and chips. What do you think? You know, all the fish were still there in the ocean, and, well, Chad just threw in the chips part. But anyway, that, that's our best opinion answer to that question. Number two, how do you know for certain when God is speaking to you? Great question. Because we know God wants to guide our lives and to bless us and to lead us. And so this is such a good practical question. Okay, so how do I know? How do I know what God's will is? And so we want to take a minute and talk about this. There are three things to look at. We're going to, I'm going to list them and then we'll discuss them. First off, when God is leading, it lines up with Scripture. He never contradicts His own word He's already given us. Second, other people around me will confirm it. Other Christians who... I know and respect that I've asked for their advice and asked them to be praying. They'll be agreeing with me if I'm on the right track and hearing what God wants me to do with my life. And then finally, when I get ready to make a decision, there's a peace, an internal peace. I know that sounds subjective, but it's so true. And there's scripture that help us understand about God's peace guiding us and restraining us. And there have been times I was about to make a decision and it lined up with scripture and I had confirmation from friends that it seemed good to them, but something in me was holding back. And then I, I, I obeyed that. I said, okay, I'm just going to hold back. And then later saw, oh, wow, the timing wasn't the best yet. Or God had something even better. So that, that third thing about peace really, really matters. So let me give you an example of how this worked with our church a couple of years ago. Chad and I were pastoring two different churches here in town, and we were friends, and we began to talk about the possibility of our two churches merging together. And uh, it's a very rare thing. And it's not always been successful when it's been done, and it's kind of crazy on one level. But we just, man, it was just on our mind, and we just couldn't get away from it, you know. And so we began to really talk and pray about it, and we were feeling like God was saying, go, go forward, investigate this possibility. And so we began to research and find some churches who had done that and find some pastors who had done that. And a pastor named Scott up in Humble had done that with his brother, and they had merged churches and ministries and been very successful and so Chad and I sat in his office and he gave us incredibly valuable advice so then we felt like okay maybe this is God so let's go to our leaders and so we went to our our leadership teams and they began to pray and feel like maybe it was God and eventually word trickled all the way down and we had announced it on Sunday mornings and asked everybody to be praying and over a period of months we came to the decision we felt like God was calling us to merge churches and launch Ignite Church and that's why we're here today so that was a, a great experience for us, and fortunately, we had God's guidance that biblically coming together, unity, that's a solid biblical principle, and people praying and confirming it was the Lord and then going forward with his peace. And so that works in all of our lives, the Bible, others confirming opinions, and then peace in our hearts. All right, question number three. This is one that everybody in here has had to deal with at some point or another, some of, some of you may have dealt with it well, others maybe not, but let, let's go with it. How do we deal with forgiveness issues? Um, this is a big question. Everybody in this room has been wronged. Uh, somebody or has wronged you in some way or another. If you're alive on this earth, that, that's the way it's happened. And uh, let me give you the answer first. It's prayerfully apply Jesus' directions. I mean, that, that's the, the one-line answer, but it's gonna, it, needs, it needs some more explanation. And so what I want to do is first give you, help you get a, an accurate perspective or a good view of what forgiveness really is and what it's not. 
That's important. I think once we understand what forgiveness is and what it isn't, it helps us, makes it easier actually for us to forgive. So here's our definition. It's relinquishing my right to punish someone who has wronged me. I mean, that, that's a, it's a simple answer, a simple definition, but I give up my right to punish people who have wronged me. That's, that's forgiveness. Now, here's what it's not. Forgiveness is not saying that what somebody did to me is okay. That's, that's not what forgiveness means. It doesn't mean that it was okay. Um, it, it's not denying that, you know, anything bad happened. It's not denying that something was wrong. Uh, that is not what forgiveness is. It, 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 it's not saying, ah, well, I didn't really have, well, of course it happened because I felt it. Um, and then it's also not necessarily allowing it to continue. Um, the, I think there's been a false perspective before about, well, if you're a Christian person, you got to forgive and you just got to take it on the chin. Well, I can take it a couple times, well, then I'm going to fight back. <laughs> okay, maybe. Uh, but, um, you know, it doesn't mean you have to just let things happen. Bad things happen to you over and over. That's not what forgiveness is. And so, I mean, it, it, that might need to sink in for a second to, for some of us. So, I'll let it sink in. Okay, y'all got it. Next. Jesus actually made a comment, or more than one, but here we're going to look in Matthew chapter 6, which it comes right after what a lot of people know as the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus gives that prayer model, that example, and then he continues on, and he, this is what he says in Matthew six fourteen: If you forgive those who sin against you, they do you wrong, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Um, that's tough. Now, keep in mind what forgiveness is, giving up my right to punish for something that they've done to me. Um, it, it, let me put that into perspective for you. Um, Jesus, the guy that died on the cross for us, said, if you forgive other people, God's going to forgive you. If you don't, God won't relinquish his right to punish you. So what that does is that makes it not just uh, something we should do, Forgiveness is something that we were supposed to do, but it's something we have to do if we want to be uh, held, uh, you know, spiritually healthy. So that puts forgiveness in a whole different light. And, and I, I can hear what some of you are thinking, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. Y'all hang on. Um, I'll prove it to you when I ask you the next question. But listen to this. Forgiveness is huge. Uh, it, it is so huge because God is really the only judge, not you and not me. Uh, I'm not really, you know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm soon going to be a CrossFit judge next week of our competition, and I'm like the top judge, right? And I'm going to get to tell people, mm, didn't count, uh, no rep. But in life, I, I'm, not, I'm, not the, I'm not a good judge. God is. He's the only one that knows everything. And so uh, listen to this, Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Now, that leads me to a, 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 like a sub-question to the first question, and here it was. So ask somebody wrote this down. Where is the justice in forgiving people? That's huge. I mean, I get it, because when somebody does wrong, I want to make sure they know they did wrong. Even if I forgive them, you need to know. And, you know, like, <laughs> and I want to make sure that you don't ever, you know, I get it. Well, this scripture tells us that, um, or lets us know that justice isn't our responsibility. It's not my responsibility to make sure that the person that wronged me has to pay for what they did or they, or they get, it's not up to me, it's up to God. 
that takes a huge, huge weight off my shoulders if I let God take care of the justice part. And I don't have to worry about it. It's not up to me whether they, you know, learn their lesson or not. It's not my responsibility. I ain't got to worry about that. I can go on. I can move on and move forward with my life even though I've been wronged. Okay, number four. Under what circumstances is divorce okay? Big, important question. When is divorce okay? When does the Bible condone divorce? Of course, me and God condone divorce. Well, before we answer, I just need to make an important statement. We have a big problem in our culture and in the world today is that in that we don't take marriage seriously enough. There's such a high divorce rate because many times people just don't fight for their marriage. The most common reason legally for divorce is irreconcilable differences. You probably recognize that phrase, that people decide they just can't agree on this, so they're going to get a divorce. Think about that for a second. Is there any marriage without some irreconcilable differences? Of course. Every marriage has issues where the husband and wife say, you know what, we're never going to agree, so we're just going to agree to disagree and go on. We're never going to reconcile that. And you know what? That's fine. That's okay. We're human. There's things we won't agree upon. But in our society, we just so easily walk away from this wonderful gift. The Bible teaches us it's a covenant, a special contract between two people before God. And so the most important thing for us to really, I think, hear today is that marriage is serious. It's a blessing, a place God really wants to bring life and blessing. And he wants us to be willing to fight for it ourselves for our friends, to urge them to hang in there, to pray hard for people, to really fight for marriage. But to answer the question, under what circumstances, biblically, is divorce okay, there are three. All right? There are three. I'm going to give them to you, then we're going to talk about them a little bit. First off is cheating. The Bible calls that adultery. To have an affair is a biblical ground for divorce. The second is abuse. Severe, ongoing, unrelenting abuse is grounds for divorce. And then abandonment, when one spouse walks away and never comes back. These are the biblical grounds for divorce. Now, it's important to understand that in Scripture, it's very clear how God feels about it. In the Old Testament book of Malachi, he says simply, I hate divorce. God hates it. And it's, 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 really, it's really neat in the sense why he hates it. He hates it because he loves you and he loves me. And he hates anything that causes us pain and brings us destruction and causes us to have less than his best in our life. Just like I hate to see anything threaten my kids that might harm them or rob from them. That's how God hates divorce. It's never that he hates people involved in divorce. It's not the people. It's the thing that harms people that God hates. Now, in Jesus' day, there was this controversy about divorce. God had given some guidelines thousands of years before, but the religious leaders had been messing it up and messing with it for thousands of years to the point that they had two major opinions about divorce in the Jewish society. They were very polarized, kind of like politics today, you know, very polarized, and nobody's having a conversation like we talked about in, the, in a recent week about being able to have a conversation. And so here are, the, here are these two extremes. One extreme is you can basically divorce your spouse for anything. And they literally practiced this thing where a man could just take a piece of paper or papyrus, I guess, and write on there, I divorce you for this reason, hand it to her and throw her out. And they could literally do that. They were ultra, ultra casual about divorce. And then this other camp said the only kind of divorce is adultery. 
They didn't even consider abuse or abandonment or anything else. Just this. And these camps never talked. And so they talked to Jesus about it, these religious leaders. And they weren't really wanting fresh insight and an answer. They were just trying to trap Jesus. And so he gave them an answer of sorts. But later, though, his own disciples weren't satisfied. They knew there was more. And so as they often did, they talked privately about this. So we're going to look at a private conversation between Jesus and his disciples about this big issue of divorce. Our conversation we're looking at is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again. He told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. Now, understand here in this context what Jesus means is whoever cheats on their spouse and then files for divorce and divorces them and walks away, that person's in adultery. They're living in it, and they may be remarried, but they're still, as far as God considers, in adultery. They haven't dealt with their issue. They've gone on in rebellion against God. Really strong. But again, seeing what God has done, we have that phrase, God puts two together, and nobody should rip them apart. God takes that so seriously. And then Jesus flips the coin over just to finish the thought. If you look at verse 12 here with me, Jesus went on to say, And if a woman divorces her husband, again, she's cheated on him. Now she divorces him, throws him out, and she marries someone else. She's living in adultery. So it's a big deal before God, but like everything else, there's grace for it. God has mercy and forgiveness, and he can deal with it, okay? So let's break these down for just a moment a little more specifically, these three reasons. The one we just talked about, adultery, it's mentioned a number of times in Scripture, but Let's take a step back and just look at the biggest picture. There is nothing God can't deal with. When I was a teenager, my pastor would talk to the teenagers in our church, and he loved us, and it was a great thing. And one day he was talking about our future and relationships and when we'd have problems. And he said, hey, man, you guys will be married someday, and there's no marriage that's perfect, and you'll have fights and stuff. But, man, hang in there. Anything God can help and any problems he can overcome. And so I was a little bit of a smart aleck. <laughs> can you imagine me being? And uh, Pastor Bob, what about cheating? What, what if a spouse cheats on his wife? You're telling me that could be forgiven. Man, he just drilled his eyes to me. He said, yes, Ed, I've seen it. I've seen it. If people will turn to God, he can heal any problem in any marriage, even infidelity. And He set me back, straightened me out, and the rest of us heard that. And it's just, we need to hear it. God can heal anything. He can restore. So what about that second instance of abuse? God's heart is that he's a protector. Uh, You don't have this in your notes. You can jot down this reference if you'd like. But I wanted us to look at a scripture that talks about God's heart to protect us. This is from Psalm 91, verse 2. The psalmist is writing about the heart of God, and this is what he says. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in him. That word refuge, it's like a castle. I can run into God's presence and be safe. That's God's heart to protect us. And so it's not his will for us to live in an abusive relationship. That's ongoing abuse, physical, severe, emotional, verbal abuse. That's not God's will, that we have to stay in that. Now, the answer is not run away from the marriage straight to a lawyer and file for divorce, but the answer is run away, get away, and get help, all right? Get away. Get away from abuse and get help and give God a chance to work even in that. Now, this abuse thing is 
in some ways the hardest of the three to deal with in terms of just it's so hard because there's an abuse between people. This is the one that needs help the most. All right. All three of these situations could use outside help, but especially this one. Get some help. And God can even work in the situation where there's been abuse. And then the third one, abandonment. Here again is a scripture not in your notes you could jot down. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. The Apostle Paul is writing to uh, believers in Corinth. And in some cases, people would come to Christ and their spouse didn't like it and get all mad and walk away. And so Paul's trying to help them out in this situation. And we can apply it to just abandonment in general. Look what Paul says. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. God doesn't call you to beg and beg and beg and plead and plead and plead for that spouse. Oh, please don't leave and just be a doormat and grab their ankle so they can't walk away. I mean, he wants you to fight for your marriage and all that. But if a spouse is determined to leave, we all know they're going to leave, right? If they determine, decide, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, that is a ground for divorce, but we need to be careful. So here's our advice to somebody who's been abandoned. Pray a lot, seek some good, godly advice, godly counsel from other believers, and if you begin to take action, that person's abandoned you and won't file for divorce, and you start that way, go slowly and carefully and prayerfully and try to be sure it's not just an emotional reaction, okay, and take time. Take time time. So folks, if you're considering divorce or you're dealing with the aftermath, the pain of a divorce and having trouble getting past it, just any, any dynamic about divorce at all, we want to help. We seriously want to help you. And so what we want to say today is if you'll make a note there on the front of your connect card, I need help for my marriage. Please contact me about marriage. Just write the word marriage, help, or whatever, and of course your contact info will be there. We'll get a hold of you this week. We'll begin a process to try to help you because God can help, and he can help in any, any kind of situation. A couple more questions that relate to this. We were asked, is it okay to remarry? Is it okay for a Christian to remarry? Yes, in time. Please hear the whole answer. It's okay for a Christian to remarry after divorce, but they should take time. Like I mentioned earlier, pray, take time, get advice, because God can melt hearts and soften hearts and heal. I have attended marriages where people got back together. They were literally legally divorced and separated, but God did a wonderful thing and put them back together. And I'll, I'll never forget those weddings I've, I've attended. You may have as well. So it's okay to remarry, but you want to give God time that there could be reconciliation but then if there's no reconciliation after time, these things we've talked about in decision-making, you could go forward. And then finally, how do you stay in a marriage when you are the only one that seems to want the marriage to work? Your spouse hasn't abandoned you, but emotionally they have. They're detached. They're just living at the same house. Well, what do you do? How do you hang in with that? That's, that's really tough. And, and we have a simple general answer for you about this. How do you stay in this marriage? By God's grace. Just a day at a time. He wants you to hang in there. But Ed, what if it's the rest of my life? I, I can't answer that. But I can tell you, he can give you grace day after day after day. And we really believe God can soften a person's heart. He can reattach a couple emotionally so that the marriage becomes healthy. Especially when that one spouse who's really wanting the marriage, when they are praying and doing all they can to make the marriage work. So God can give you grace to hang in there, and he can do amazing things. So to recap these three things, 
The three biblical grounds for divorce are adultery, abuse, and abandonment. All right, question number five, and this is another one that um, a lot, a lot, a lot of people have asked over the years and certainly on the cards that we got, and it's this. Why do bad things happen to good people? And you might have thought that. You might have wondered that in, in your own mind. And, and uh, here's another question where I got to make a few things clear before we actually start in with the answer. So what I want to I do this first. Painful things happen in life. Everybody in here has faced painful things. It's, it's part of living in this world. We've all had bad experiences. Now, another thing is a lot of people have an a, a incorrect idea or a false idea of what it means to, you know, have a meaningful relationship with God and be a Christian person. Uh, some think that, well, once I do that, once I hook up with God, then all the bad things stop. Well, that's just not true. Um, it, it, it just, it doesn't work that way. I wish, you know, in, in, my, in my brain, I kind of would like it to, uh, but it doesn't. Uh, God's smarter than me, by the way, so he's got things figured out. Um, you know, take a look at, there's a few guys in the Bible. There's, there's a book in the Bible, if you have, maybe you've never read it, but there's a book in there called Job, J-O-B, it's not Job, you know, just saying, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Job. And uh, Job was a good guy. And if you read the story and you read through what happened, he had went through some horrible things that he didn't, he didn't you know, think he deserved. And then if you fast forward in, in the Bible some more, there was a guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a good guy. And he told people about that Jesus was coming, and he got his head cut off. That's really not a good thing. And then you got Jesus himself, who never did anything wrong. Uh, not one thing. And what happened to him? Well, he got crucified on the cross. And I mean, to me, I mean, that probably at least felt like a bad thing. So uh, the, the, the truth is that just because you, you connect with God, it doesn't mean that bad things are all supposed to stop. What it means is you've got God's help when they happen, that you, he's there to help you through it when, when you do go through things in life. And so th that's a balance. That's a much more healthy perspective uh, that'll, that kind of helps us get going on the right track. Um, I've got a, a poem here that, that I've actually read a whole lot of times in memorial services over the years. I'm going to give you a section of it. And as, as I said in the early service, you know, forgive me, I'm not, I wasn't a poetry major, so I'm going to give it my best shot, though. So just kind of let the words sink in here. This is true. What I'm about to read you is true. God hasn't promised skies always blue, flower-strown pathways all our lives through. God hasn't promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. That's a really good perspective of God and, and stuff that happens. Now, with all of that in mind, everything I've just said, we're going to make our, take our best shot here at answering the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, in, in your notes there, A, number one, our world is corrupted by sin. Uh, that's huge. Um, just, just the simple fact, Adam and Eve, you know, they, they sinned at the beginning, and, and sin entered the world, and, and the result of sin is bad stuff. So there's bad stuff in the world. B, God allows things to test us. 
Now, this is one that, you know, we, we don't really like necessarily, but again, God's smarter than we are. God's got things figured out. I want to read you something. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to prove to you what I'm, that what we're saying here is true. Uh, Romans 5, 3 and 4. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. To me, that means bad stuff. Uh, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Now, let me say here, I don't go home at night and pray, God, please help some bad stuff happen to me tomorrow <laughs> so that my faith will be. I do not, I do not, do not do that. Please don't do that. Um, uh, but, but why does God allow the, this stuff? You know, well, why, why does he allow them to test us? Here's why we think. Because he sees more and he knows more than we do. If you imagine your life like a train, you got the, the, the engine, all the cars in between, and the caboose at the end, you and I can only really see um, what train, what, what uh, car we're on, but God sees your beginning and your end and everything in between all at the same time, and so he knows what, what will help direct you to where you need to go. He knows this. Uh, usually, the sooner I give up and let God take control of stuff, the easier all of that goes. Um, I, I give you kind of another example to maybe try to help it explain it a little better. If you got children um, and you fight all your children's battles for them their entire life, they will never grow up. Won't happen. They'll never mature. You will have to be fighting for them forever and they'll never be able to stand on their own two feet. I think that's one reason why God allows things to test us, because he sees us like children he loves so much. Uh, the next one, C, number three, the devil attacks to steal, kill, and destroy. Pretty simple. There's a devil out there. He hates me and you, so he, he's going to you know, attack us with as many bad things as he possibly can. That's John 10.10 10 in the Bible if you want to read it. D, we have a free will. Uh, God didn't make robots. He made people who can choose right or wrong, good or evil. You can choose. Other people around you can choose. So sometimes bad things happen. They weren't my fault. I didn't do anything. Somebody else chose, and it hurt me. I understand. We all understand that happens. But that's one of the reasons why bad things happen, because people can choose. And finally, this is what we think is probably the, actually the best answer to this question. Uh, it's similar to the way we've answered a few others over the last few weeks, and that is this. The question itself is flawed. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, here, here I'm going to give you the truth. Um, bad things don't happen to good people. Let me back that up. Let me say that again in case you thought I said it wrong. Bad things don't happen to good people. The truth is, we're all flawed. We're all bad people at some point. There's actually no good person, if you really look at the definition of it, really no good person sitting in here today. So uh, the, the better and the actual more healthy question to ask about the subject is, why do good things happen to flawed people like us? Why does anything good ever happen to me? You know, there, there's nobody in here that actually deserves God's kindness and his love. 
and his mercy. We don't. Um, I like to think I do. I know you like to think you do because you've done a lot of good things, and I, I kind of feel like I've done a lot of good things, but the truth is I, I, really, I really don't. And so why, why then do good things happen to bad people like me <clears throat> and Ed? <laughs> um, I'm still awake. I'll okay, okay, good. All what right. right do we have to expect or demand anything good at all? You know, are we really entitled to good stuff? Are we entitled to the? No, we're really, really not. You know, so um, here's the answer. Because God is merciful, not fair. The reason why good things happen to you and me are because God's merciful and he's not fair. Um, let me explain that. Psalm 103, verse 10, talking about God. He does not punish us for all our sins. He chooses to relinquish the right to punish. He does not harshly, I'm sorry, he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Here's my last statement about the, uh, this question and the answer. Listen very, very, very carefully. Tune in to me if you've been asleep. Everything Everything good in your life has come from God. I just love that. I, I hesitated to go on in the first service. God is just so good and gracious. All right, number six. Let's wrap up today. Number six, here's the question. I was baptized as a child. Can I be baptized again? Can I be baptized again as an adult? And let me give you the answer, and then we'll elaborate. Yes, and you should be. Yes, and you should be. Let's define baptism, biblical believer's baptism, and then we'll fill out the question or finish answering it. Biblical baptism is when a person begins a relationship with God. A person comes to the place we talk about every Sunday here, where a person says, I get it, I get it, I, I need forgiveness for my sin, I don't have a relationship with God. Jesus, come into my life, I give you my life, become my savior, my boss, my best friend, my guide, I'm all yours, Lord. When a person's made that transaction, when they've come into that relationship with God, now they're ready to be baptized. It's for believers, and the word baptized literally means to immerse, to totally put underwater, all right? And so this is what we see Jesus did and the disciples in, in the book of, uh, in the Gospels. And baptism, if you'll recall, is that picture. Jesus on the cross died, laid in the tomb, and raised up the third day. And so baptism is declaring to the world, I'm identifying with Jesus. I've given him my life. And so you can figure it out that only a person who's old enough to understand that is really ready to do that. And so that's why when a child starts getting interested in baptism, we really have a serious conversation. Why do you want to be baptized? And sometimes I'll say, because my big brother did, or Bobby or Susie. Well, that's great, but that's not all God has for you. And so when a child gets older and begins to understand, yes, I have now a relationship with God, they're ready to be baptized. And so a lot of folks had something else done. Maybe they were sprinkled as a child or even an adult. And we're not criticizing that and saying that's terrible or wrong, but it's not biblical believers' baptism, okay? Uh, to me, that's kind of reflecting the Old Testament thing of dedicating a child to God and saying, Lord, bless my kid, and I want him to live for you. And so believers' baptism is once a person becomes a believer, and then it's baptism by immersion. And so that answer, again, for folks who have, that has not been your experience you can and, yes, should be baptized. And you know what? You could be baptized today. 
We've got clothes and towels and water, and we've got at least one coming from the early service in just a few minutes that we're going to baptize, and you could be baptized too. So I'll be right here in the front for a couple minutes when we dismiss. If you want to get baptized today, come talk to me. We'll get you ready, and 10 minutes after we're dismissed, you'll be able to get baptized today. When we dismiss here, as we do every Sunday, we'll have prayer teams up here on your right and your left, prayer teams. I got it right now. And they'll be there to pray with you for any need. And you know, guys, we talked about some tough things today. We talked about forgiveness issues. We talked about divorce issues. We talked about bad things happening. And probably everybody in here can relate to some or maybe all of those things. And when we go through life and we take a hit, we get emotional pain, sometimes those pains stay with us and hold us back. Well, did you know God wants to heal your heart too? I love the, the biblical phrase, God heals the brokenhearted. And so we're feeling that today, besides just regular prayer requests that we encourage folks every Sunday to come for, we want to encourage you to come if you just still are dealing with some emotional pain about these issues we've talked about today or anything else. But emotional healing is real. Man, I've experienced it, and it makes such a difference to really be free and to really get past hurtful experiences. And in addition to that, each Sunday we talk about saying yes to Jesus. If you'll come forward, these people in our prayer teams would love to talk with you. And then you can begin your relationship with God today. And they'll pray with you and then rejoice with you. And you're beginning that awesome relationship today. All right, y'all stand and we're going to be dismissed. Lord, thank you that, Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the life. And you have all the answers we need. And you are helping us on a daily basis live this life and have this abundant life you came for us to have. So we give you thanks for that today. Thank you that you're with us in tough times like Chad talked about. You're always there with us. Father, I pray this week we would all have a renewed, increased sense of your presence with us in everything we experience. Lord, let your joy be our strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.